Today's episode is presented by Public. Public Public.com has just launched its new high-yield cash account, offering an industry-leading 5.1% APY. No fees, no subscription, and no minimums or maximums. That means you can grow your cash with 5.1% interest with no strings attached. It's as simple as that. Again, that is 5.1% interest with no fees, 5.1% interest with no subscription, 5.1% interest with no minimums or maximums, and 5.1% interest with up to $5 million of FDIC insurance, just 5.1% interest straight up, no strings attached. Sign up today at public.com backslash chit chat money. This is a paid endorsement for public.com, 5.1% APY as of December 20th, 2023, and is subject to change. Full disclosures and terms and conditions can be found in the podcast description. High-yield cash accounts are available for U.S. members only. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan, Brett, or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome into Chit Chat Money. My name is Brett Schaefer, and I am joined, as always, by Ryan Henderson. Uh, This is our Wednesday episode. We've switched it up from the Tuesday not so deep dive theme. We've how long did we do that? Maybe like two years. Uh, we're doing similar type stuff now, uh, so don't worry. I know there's a lot of people that were messaging us and stuff saying, "Hey, we we really like those type of shows." Don't worry, we're doing a very similar show to that today, and we are covering hims and hers ticker H I M S. Um, yeah. I guess probably just gonna call it hymns. It, yeah, it's well, it's gonna get confusing because it's hymns and hers. The ticker though is H I M S, but sometimes we're referring specifically to the hymns.com website, sometimes we're referring specifically to the hers.com website. Either way, people are probably confused listening to this. Uh, we're one week away from changing our name to Chit Chat Stocks, so watch Correct. out for that. Uh, the logo is going to change slightly. You probably already noticed we put our faces on there specifically for SEO purposes, uh, just because we read a few blog posts about that. Uh, if you enjoy listenership's this podcast, gone up, Maybe hey, it has. Yeah, faces. It's probably yeah. It's because we're so beautiful, right? No, I think it's probably because we're doing uh, fewer episodes and higher quality. And it's been a bit of a rambling intro, but I want to say that we're covering hims and hers today in a similar format to the not-so-deep dive, but a little bit more flexibility. And how we're doing these is we've given ourselves individually more time to research a stock. So for the last, what day is it, January 17th? Essentially the last 17 days, uh, it was a little shorter at the start here, but the first one, I was researching hims and hers. Ryan has been researching for next week, booking.com. And then we'll probably take another month and I'll pick another stock to research. Instead of doing something for one week, now we're going to give each other a month and hopefully improve the quality here. Yes, the frequency is going to be lower. That's the downside. We're not going to uncover as many rocks, but we hope people get much more out of these episodes as I think I have a much more comprehensive understanding of the hymns and hers business. But if you enjoy this podcast, as I said, 
Give this a five-star review on Spotify and Apple. And if you like this episode specifically, click that little share button and share it with someone you think you would like it too. That's one of the best ways to help us grow. And for the show notes, subscribe to the newsletter, Chit Chat Money, soon to be Chit Chat Stocks. The link is in the show notes there. Ryan, you're going to be... Questioner. Uh, yeah, question, doing the questioner. You're going to be uh, leading, I guess, this discussion. Uh, and I'll be responding to some of your questions, topics, all that good stuff. So why don't you take it away? Anything else before we get started or just get right to it? No, let's, let's get right into the business. So it's called Hims and Hers. This might be a name that some people recognize just purely from commercials, stuff like that. So why don't you take us through it? What is the Hims and Hers business? What are they actually doing? And then can you give some some history into how the business got started? Yeah, if you are somewhere close to our age and you've ever done a Google search about hair loss, which I have, you are probably having your Instagram or TikTok page overrun with their advertisement. But let's go through it. Yes, what is the business model and a brief history? Because this is really a young company. So if we look at their 10K annual report, they define their business as, quote, a consumer-first platform transforming the way customers fulfill their health and wellness needs. Don't know what that means, but in practice, this means Hims and Hers does a few things. First, they run a website and mobile application that allows doctors to offer telehealth consultations, uh, manage electronic records for patients, make digital prescriptions, and perform pharmacy fulfillment, you know, all in the up and up for all the regulations there. Hims is not technically own, allowed to own its own medical practice, so it has to outsource to clinical doctors uh, that they don't that are under their corporate umbrella. But if you read the fine print, it essentially says, and I have the quote for the, the full quote for the newsletter, that the affiliated medical groups that provide the consultations are basically were invented for the sole purpose of providing services to patients of Hims and Hers on the various platforms. And they have no other operations outside of these activities. So <laughs> they can say that they're not affiliated, but technically, I mean, for all intents and purposes, they work for Hims and Hers. Uh, the customer doesn't really know the difference and it doesn't really matter at that point. But to simplify things on the back end, now this is important, and we're going to talk about this throughout the episode, Hims does not deal with insurance at all. Of course, this restricts what Hims can legally have its doctors prescribe. You know, it's going to limit what they're going to be able to do because of the reimbursement stuff. Some stuff's going to be way too expensive. For example, they're not really getting into GLP-1s right now. Those are innovative weight loss drugs because they're too expensive at the moment and they don't deal with insurance. So that's not something they want to do. But for the stuff that they are going after, which we'll get into, it makes it way less complicated to not deal with insurance for stuff that's very, you know, fairly cheap. Management believes, and they talk about this all the time, that the trade-offs and not using insurance at the moment are positive for them because it allows them to have a what they would call a frictionless operation for their customers. Ryan, as I talked about the kind of back-end stuff there, the technology they built for the telehealth platform, any questions, any confusion there? Oh, I think it makes sense. It kind of makes it cleaner in a way that they're not going through insurance companies, but Obviously, like you said, it's gonna it's gonna restrict them most. If these were very expensive drugs that they were selling, it would be very difficult for most people to afford them without insurance. So instead, they're going after. I think what a lot of you're going to talk about this here in a second, but I like that they are very 
direct and clear about the drugs that they offer. And it's not these like, they don't use like really vague random names. It, maybe they do, but they're very clear about what the exact benefits are. And, and you'll, you'll describe that here in a second. The websites are very direct. There's no confusion needed. Yes. So let's get to what people may know hims and hers about is that that's the consumer side of things. Um, people probably just know them for their products and they run two consumer facing marketplaces, hims and hers, one for, uh, males, one for females to connect people with these medical providers. And again, these medical providers are selling hims and hers products. They focus on sexual wellness, hair loss, anxiety, and they are expanding. Uh, they just launched recently into weight loss products and consultations. So if we look at, I'll have this in the newsletter. I don't think I need to share this screen. Uh, the front page of the hymns website says, in big letters, experience the power of better health. And there's six buttons. One, first one says, have great sex. Second one, regrow hair. Third one, lose weight. Tackle anxiety. Have longer sex. Get smooth skin. It's very, very clear. And you click the button. It's like, it's, it's like, uh, I don't know. They streamline this operation. They, they want to make it as simple as possible. I think it's good. Going to, it's, we clean. Don't even, it's clean. Yeah, it is clean. It's a good designed website. Well-designed website for sure. We go to hers. I find it funny what is promoted on the various ones. Um, because if we look at the hers one, they do focus a lot on hair regrowth there as well. They focus on anxiety and depression, uh, weight loss, birth control, and like vitamins, minerals, skin stuff, all that good stuff. Um, if you can look at these websites, go check them out. It's pretty easy. They're the I have them linked in the newsletter, but it's hymns.com and forhers.com. They have a very modern direct-to-consumer style for the web layouts. Think of the same category. What would I put them in? The Warby Parker style, the Casper mattress style. They all seem to be very similar. Um, and the products themselves have this style as well, where they're in this very clean-looking packaging. It looks nice. It's got very warm colors. I don't know if that matters, but it's much different than, say... The product you would buy from who is a brand head and shoulders maybe would have a hair loss spray and it's going to look entirely different now importantly hymns is marketing almost all of its own products whether it's like generic type stuff where they just have the hymns label on it or stuff they've made themselves with either you know the hymns or hers brand so for example they recently launched hymns hard mints to help with erectile dysfunction in males, it plans to release more of these personalized products uh, with an aim to differentiate itself from just a provider of generic over-the-counter drugs. Uh, and then a customer journey, you kind of think about how someone becomes a customer of him's or hers. They will start on one of those landing pages, uh, get to the website, uh, you know, probably through an advertisement or through a Google search query. They will find what problem they have. Uh, they'll click that button as it says, you know, regrow hair, click that button, then he'll regrow your hair. They schedule a discussion with a licensed physician, which is either a video conversation, a phone call, or maybe just over messaging. And then they buy the product and Hims sells the vast majority of its products through a monthly subscription. So you can subscribe to say the hair loss spray and you get that on a regular cadence and then they deliver it 
to people's doorsteps. So you don't have to go to a store. You don't have to go to a pharmacy. You don't have to go to all that. It can all be done through your own home for these, you know, these aren't, uh, how would it say, very complicated drugs, right? This is not like you need a big consultation to get one of the hair loss products, or at least the vast majority of them. And they want to make it very easy for people to buy them. So to reiterate, they do not deal with insurance. This is a big selling point to people who can get frustrated with the healthcare system. You know, yeah, you might pay a bit more out of pocket for some ED pills, but if it saves you the headache and time, I don't think it really matters in the end if you're if it's $10, $15 more expensive per month. And this is why, at least at the moment, they're focusing on relatively cheap products. Now, as we go through, I want to get an overview here because not everyone understands this business. It's fairly new. So I want people to have a comprehensive understanding because I was very confused kind of in the first week of exactly what this business was. And really, at the end of the day, though, you know, you have the telehealth stuff. You have like you have all these websites that are driving people to learn about these problems that they might have and how to improve them. But at the end of the day, the more people that are ordering medication or various health products through its subscription offering, the more money hims and hers makes. Therefore, their goal is to attract as many people as possible who are looking for solutions for things like erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and can convince them to get a subscription or two. Um, if we go to the history, they were incubated by Atomic Labs in 2017. Yes, that's right. Only, what are we in now, like year seven, perhaps? Year seven, maybe year eight coming up shortly, depends on when they were actually founded. Its founder CEO is Andrew Dedham, who was working for Atomic Labs at the time. It, it was an incubator, kind of VC incubator, one of those type of deals that are trying to incubate businesses. Uh, he still has a relationship with this VC but this is an extremely young business that has grown like gangbusters in the last few years, went public to respect during the bubble in 2021. Um, not much, I think, that's too relevant for the history. It's more of like, all right, well, we're building the historical timeline right now. I think I have three things any investor needs to know. It's still run by its founder, so Dudham is still there. It rapidly raised a ton of money through VCs and now the public markets using that spec. And they are going through the classic Silicon Valley blitzscaling strategy by spending a ton on sales and marketing. Okay, Ryan. Any comments, concerns? What, what do you like? What, what surprised you? Any, any, any big surprises here? Yeah, I'll let you breathe there for a second. The, I mean, surprise-wise, yeah, I did not know exactly what this business was at all. Uh, you kind of recognize the name and you see the drugs or you see the purpose of the drugs through the commercials, but did not understand the back end. So it's nice to get some context there. I do have one question. What exactly can you maybe go into depth a little more on the doctor or the physician relationship? Are these are they paying these people like kickbacks for every drug they sell, for every subscription? How's that working? Do you know? Yeah, actually I had a lot of trouble finding that. I think they so it's not included in their cost of revenue. It's they're not employees of them. So I think it's it's gotta be like included in their cost of maybe the kickback on some of these products, but it, it's in there. And I'll look at now their gross margin. Let me, let me define this. We're gonna define it later. If we look at their cost of revenue, it includes uh product shipped and services rendered, which basically is just 
shipping their products. You know, it's product costs, packaging materials, shipping costs, labor costs directly related to revenue generating activities. Um, that doesn't say anything about the doctor's visits, but yes, what's weird about this one is that technically these medical groups can't work for hims and hers, but they are, you know, helping these people. So honestly, uh, it's quite confusing and I couldn't really find it in the annual report. Uh, I don't know if it was a big concern for me, but does that, does that make sense where it's like they can't (laughs) technically like there's this weird loophole that they're going through where the, these medical groups are specifically set up to work for them, but they are not working for them in a technical perspective from, from a business side of things. So, I think from the doctor consultation part, um, it's usually a free consultation. So, yeah. But the, the, okay, to reiterate, they can't to be the on side their payroll. Yeah, yeah, they can't be on their payroll. So it's okay. Yeah. And then when they, when the customer ultimately does buy these products, they turn it into a subscription. And it's usually just, let's say they chose the one that said, uh, get smooth skin or whatever they buy that product and then hims and hers tries to convert them into a recurring subscription right well yeah i think you sign up for a recurring subscription i think you can but there's not just one product there's going to be multiple products typically for all these things so you work when you say okay you click on that button whatever one it is or whatever one solution you can read about it and then it'll say hey set up a consultation with one of our uh, licensed medical professionals that we can connect you with, which is, you know, the, the purpose of the telehealth platform, you talk with them, they recommend something to you, which funny enough, oh, it's a hims and hers product. Okay. They recommend that to you. Then you get hop on the subscription. So they're trying to make it because people, I think, get confused generally on what is right for them for a lot of these over the counter and out of pocket stuff. That, that they're going to be buying like okay well what hair loss things should i specifically use when you talk to a doctor they can recommend it and then you'll buy the hims and hers one does that make sense or excuse me you subscribe to the hims and hers product yeah makes sense okay let's go through the financial history of this business you shared a chart on social media this week that highlights hims revenue versus good rx's revenue which is a similar comp i would say and Hims has been just eating share in this industry and growing. That's probably one of the most impressive, like six years into a business growth charts I've seen revenue wise. Uh, and I'm referring to Hims, not good or X here. So, what's been going right? Why have they been able to grow so quickly? And kind of what did their economics look like? Yeah. So, you are doubling up these sections, so we'll probably get to that one. Uh, the people listening won't know, but yeah, we'll get to the why, I think, after as we get some context on these numbers here. Let's begin with revenue and gross profit. As you can maybe see in the chart we're going to share here shortly, they put up impressive revenue growth numbers and expanding margins. So since 2018, revenue has grown at 104% compound annual growth rate. And if you compare it with GoodRx, well, 
GoDartX was much, much larger. I think I'll probably share it now. And today, or excuse me, they were much, much larger back in 2018. And today, Hims and Hers is a larger business. And it's just been quite impressive how we, how much they've grown here. And the thing about it is they've done it with fantastic margin. Yes, so if you can see, GoDartX has grown. Their compound annual growth rate was 25%, but Hims and Hers was... Much, much better. And if you can see here, their gross margin has also expanded quite impressively. In 2019, it was about 50%. 2020, it shot up to about 75%. And today, we are at 82%. So really fantastic unit economics. As I mentioned before, they basically run, okay, they got to pay for the product costs, right? Which at the end of the day, for a lot of these things are very... I don't want to call them cheap, but these are some of the generic stuff like generic Viagra, generic uh, hair loss stuff. And you have to pay for that. It's quite a bit of a commodity, but you slap the hims and hers branding on it. You have them go through their consultation and you have it shipped to their door in an easy manner. You don't deal with insurance. The costs are not that high especially when you're not doing expedited shipping, you know, like next day shipping. So we got 82% gross margins here. And yeah, I mean, the variable costs are really just product costs, shipping, packaging costs, and the labor associated with all these things. Um, As an important note, they do not include their support costs um, or depreciation and amortization in the cost of revenue line item. And for reference, if we look at operations and support, it's about 15% of that. So if you want to go down to maybe a contribution margin or include that in the cost of revenue, you can. Um, I I guess I'd leave that up to the listener to decide at the end of the day when we're looking at net income, operating income, or free cash flow. It's not going to matter. But if we move to the bottom line, speaking of net income, they have historically been unprofitable. However, they're not as bad as maybe some of the other SPACs or VC-backed startups, especially when you compare it to this extremely fast revenue growth. Last quarter, they had an operating loss of $8.5 million on $227 million in revenue. So they're getting really close to break even from an operating income uh, perspective. And I would probably expect them to hit break even from that point in 2024. And I think the question is, okay, well, we got 82% gross margins. I think any smart listener is asking, okay, well, how do we get to 0% operating margins? And it's really, you asked why have they grown so quickly? It's the same reason. To be frank, they spend a lot on marketing and this is why they're growing so quickly. Here's what they have to say from their annual report about their marketing spend. Quote, we acquire new customers and drive brand awareness through various marketing channels, including social media, online search, television, radio, other media channels, presence in brick and mortar retail stores, and physical brand advertising campaigns, which that usually means billboards. So they do a ton of targeted advertisements on places like YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. To test it out, everyone, I think, listening to this watches stuff on YouTube. Do a search for hims and hers or something along those lines of on Google and then go to YouTube, you will see probably an ad for hims and hers. You can watch how they kind of work there. They work with, um, how would you describe them? Yeah, just the influencer people on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube to do specific ads for them. Um, these aren't like 
movie star actresses or anything like that. But to kind of advertise the products, see how it, you know works. It's one of those classic advertisements that really really work because if you have hair loss issues and you see one of these ads, you go, oh yeah, this is you know perfect for me. It, it just fits. It's really easy to advertise. But they also do a lot of brand advertising and they've gotten into this more as they've scaled. For example, they work with a lot of celebrities. They uh, worked with the famous tight end in the NFL, uh, Rob Gronkowski for hims, and then Kristen Bell, who actress, I think. Yeah. Uh, for hers. Um, yeah. And just for the numbers there over the last 12 months, they've spent over $400 million on marketing. But back in 2018, they were only spending $55 million a year. So it's it's just grown a lot as they've scaled uh, their revenue as well. Here's my question for you. Do you think they can start to see that sales and marketing expense actually start to decline as a percentage of revenue in the coming years? Because I know it's easy for a lot of companies to talk about it. And it seems like for the last three years, they've held that pretty steady. Yeah, well, good question, Ryan. It's almost like you have the show notes in front of you too uh, because they have shown some progress with this and that's kind of the next chart I have here. Although I think some skeptics may argue it's been too minimal in recent years as they've really grown this revenue. And the chart I made that will be in the newsletter is the spread between gross margin and then the percentage of revenue HIMS spends on marketing each year. So the wider the spread, the more rooms room hims has to you know see gross profit drop to the bottom line and as the largest part of their operating expenses this is where they're going to be able to get that leverage if they can you know they don't have a ton on r&d at least at the moment overhead costs are just like any other company hopefully you're going to be efficient with that but it's not going to it's something that can scale um or excuse me get leverage on as you grow your revenue. So what are the numbers? In 2021, uh, the spread was 25%, but in the last 12 months, it was 30%. So we got, five, I guess, five percentage points of gain there. We're seeing a little bit of progress. Um, I think over the next few years, investors should expect the spread to widen. But for anyone that's maybe cynical about this and saying, well, they're... They're not, you know, the unit economics look good, but they're not actually generating a profit. I would remember that they are currently growing revenue at, well, okay, over the last five years at 104%. I guess I can get the latest numbers. Uh, 57%. 50, yeah, 57. That was the Q3 number, run. Correct. Yeah, so I don't think that's the end of the world if you're currently growing your revenue that quickly. And as we'll get into it, we'll kind of be skeptical about this later the unit economics are so solid. Uh, but is there a secret sauce? I mean, why are they crushing someone like GoodRx or some of these other competitors out there that we'll talk about later? From a product perspective, there's not much there. I mean, if, for example, minoxidil, one of the hair loss spray, is it, that's minoxidil at the end of the day. You can't really change that. I think the company is really betting that they have a good product suite, nice looking brand. They're very, you know, easy to use website and app that reduces friction. And then they have smart marketing campaigns that can drive these recurring customers to a subscription service. Because if you looked at this three to four years ago, you could say, okay, well, you got $400 million in VC money, but 
what makes you different than everyone else? Well, they just executed better, and now maybe they can try to separate themselves from the pack, as we'll talk about later. And yes, you know, this is going to require ongoing marketing spend. This is not something where you're going to see marketing spend drop to 10% of revenue. It's going to consistently stay high as sort of a CPG brand. And I think they are betting that eventually they get some leverage on the marketing spend because right now it's over 50% of revenue. But that's not until they get to generating billions of dollars each year. And as we talked about earlier, it's not like they're hemorrhaging money. They're actually free cash flow positive because of the... uh, large stock-based compensation expense, but from an operating income perspective, on a gap operating income perspective, it's pretty damn close to break even now. Yeah, I'm looking at the chart here and I I can't share my screen right now, but it's been this gradual improvement from March of 2021. It was negative, it was $40 million in gross profit and negative $48 million in operating losses. Now it's gone from $40 million in gross profit to $187 million. And this is quarterly. So $187 million in gross profit. And then last quarter was negative 9 million in operating losses. The trend I think is quite clear here. It's, It's one of those where you have a very good idea of the direction they're heading. And I guess my second question here for you is, do you think if they cut the marketing, do they, and this kind of leads into the next question, could the would the existing customers stick around? Do you think they have any sort of lasting competitive advantage? Yeah, that this is the big question for this company. Well, the, the turn part, I think it's the big question and the competitive advantage I think we can talk about that to give some context for any prospective investor here. Uh, But we'll get to the kind of churn specifically later, maybe have a discussion on that. I think I'm not sure any company started in 2017 will have a significant competitive advantage in 2023, or excuse me, 2024. But I think they can be on the right side of the innovator's dilemma. And if hims and hers has any advantage, it is going to be the fact that they are a young, lean company trying to disrupt the stodgy medical industry and be on that right side of that innovator's dilemma. I mean, the legacy way, I don't really, I don't think I've ever done this, is when you get prescribed medication, so anyone can correct me if I'm wrong here, is you, you you visit the doctor, at the doctor's office, you have to wait in that line. It takes a long time. Then you get your prescription. Then you go to the pharmacy. You have to visit the physical pharmacy. And then you have to pick up your drugs. And you have to deal with all this insurance mumbo jumbo, which I say that in jest. Like, it just is annoying, right, for everyone. With Hims, you can do this all from your couch. You can have a product delivered to your door, hopefully in a timely manner. And you don't have to deal with your insurance provider. To me, for a product that's relatively cheap, like the ones that they are going to offer you, it seems pretty appealing. And it might cost slightly more at the end of the day, but it could you know, save you a ton of time that makes it worth it. Uh, also, and by definition, they, the legacy solutions, like they can't compete here. They have the doctor's offices. They have the physical pharmacies. And if they get rid of them, well, okay, then they're just the same as a hims and hers consultation. It also, the drugs they are choosing to sell seem targeted at like the 20, well, at least on the him side, 20 to 30 year old males, which seem like the most 
internet savvy, the, the type uh, in terms of age demographics, the most likely to use this product are also unsurprisingly the drugs that seem to be there, what HIMSS is targeting that at. So I kind of said that in a weird way, but basically it's, it's a product and a strategy that's both targeted at the younger generations. Yep. I have a good quote for, uh, some context there as well from their Q2 2023 conference call, quote, the patients that come to our platform every day are first-time customers. And what that means is they often do not actually have a primary physician for which they know the name and have a relationship with. This is overwhelmingly the case for people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and even 50s. So I think you're right there, Ryan. I don't know. I don't ha- I don't know who my primary physician is, I will admit. I am very confused on that stuff. I pay my insurance every month, but, or, you know, you have that stuff and some people might not pay it themselves, but I don't know anything about it. It's extremely confusing to me and I don't know who all these people are, who, what he even does, why I'm paying, what's going to happen. I don't know if it's the same with you, but I'm sure it is the same with a lot of people. And that's the data they have that they're referencing in this quote. Yeah, it is kind of an interesting process. I I don't know my primary physician by name, but especially when you get out of college, because you go from being having like a pediatrician basically for until you leave for college, and at least I think it's the pediatrician. Maybe a little younger doctors. I I think pediatricians can go up to eighteen years old. I believe so, Um, but. I might be getting that wrong. Anyway, you you have pretty much the same one until you leave for college. And then you come back and you're kind of lost and you have to sort of pick one. And it seems like there's ridiculous wait times wherever you are to find one. So it's just, yeah, this is a much cleaner process. And you think about like the hair loss drugs, the bald people in their 60s aren't really looking for the hair loss drugs. It's the people that kind of still have their hair that want to prevent that hair loss, which seems to be more in the 20s, 30s, 40s. So yeah, it just seems well-suited, fit for the right kind of uh, customer demographic here. Okay. Now, I believe that they have the innovators, innovators dilemma on their side here. But do you believe, do you have any concerns about them like having the innovators dilemma versus kind of the legacy medical practice and pharmaceutical uh, process? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Mm. No, I think they're going about it the right way. And I, I do buy that they're on the right side of the innovator's dilemma. It's They are so much better at messaging 
or communicating with younger customers. Like the hymns and hers branding, the hymns and hers marketing, it's very clear exactly what they're offering. Whereas when you see some of those like they're very popular drugs, but they have like un un words they're basically names you can't pronounce and they're kind of these vague commercials where it's someone walking around in nature and then all of a sudden it's like 30 seconds of disclosures it doesn't feel those don't seem to meet like meet the market where they are today or at least meet the 20 to 30 year old needs and it seems like ham's just done a really good job on that i i don't think there's anything here where i'd say they have created barriers or they've created a moat that someone else can't replicate but they're currently doing it the best yeah i was gonna mention their moat i think is virtually non-existent today is there a network effect no is there a regulatory advantage no um anyone can really not anyone it doesn't take that long to set this up and you know why we know that because there are a lot of competitors out there that got VC backing over the last 15 years. It takes lots of VC money, which is harder to get today. That's true. That's actually a great point. Yeah. Um, but they do have a brand. So I, I, I think, okay, we like to invest in companies with competitive advantages. Everyone does, but importantly, it's not a, necessarily and it's the famous quote that's been thrown around the last i don't know how long ago this quote was thrown out but the todd combs one it's not about necessarily the moat it's about whether it will expand or contract or stay the same over the next five years and with hymns i think there is some room if they execute to have the moat expand over the next couple of years one and there's a couple uh, ways i think they can do that one is increase the amount of affordable products offered on the hymns uh over the counter subscriptions or purchases because there are a ton of competitors out there that offer just maybe one of these solutions for example if you look at a competitor keeps which is a big competitor that focuses almost exclusively on male hair loss they have virtually the same products a lot of the same brand style a lot of this it's basically the same price i'm sure they both have standardized customer uh support stuff but if hymns can work into have a way more comprehensive uh, set of products for people, it's going to have a much better value proposition for customers to stick with them versus the competitors because you can go to hymns or hers for not only hair loss, but everything else. And the more products they offer, I think the harder it would be for one of these direct online competitors to compete with them. Second one, though, that I think they can do is get and this is not going to be as strong to be clear as the economies of scale of an Amazon's infrastructure service, but I think they can use scale to reduce prices versus the online direct competitors. So Keeps, Roman, et cetera, there's quite a few out there. And with increasing scale, Hims has shown phenomenal unit economics. Now, I think, and they've said they're going to give back some of these price, uh, some of this unit economics back to the customer. Here's what the CFO said. Well, actually, it's a very long quote, but he essentially said that they think they can get their gross margins to the mid 70s and make the business work. And currently, remember today, they're 82%, so they can reduce prices here and keep reducing prices a bit as they get this scale and offer a cheaper subscription compared to Keeps, Rome, et cetera and still be profitable. So I think 
that makes sense to me. It maybe won't be as cheap as some of the legacy solutions or what have you, but it's going to be cheaper than the direct competitors that are still going about them with almost the exact same business model as hims and hers. Yeah, I buy all that. And the other part is you can make, we look for competitive advantages, but you can make a lot of money in something that doesn't have a definable competitive advantage yet. And then then has one. Typically that's where most of the money is being made is when they are developing that competitive advantage. So it's not an end all be all if they don't have one today, but trying to see if there's any that are developing. Yes, it would be great if they had sort of that cost advantage and were able to pass kind of the scale economy shared, pass through some of those cost savings back to the customers. I'm curious whether or not they'll do that. Yeah, they've talked a big talk. I remember reading all the conference calls and they kept saying, hey, we're going to get price back to the customer. Hey, you know, blah, 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 blah. But, and they're like, gross margins, well, we want them to be in the 70s, but they're higher and they really haven't done that yet. But they did say that they later, or excuse me, late in 2023, that they reduced prices a little bit and that actually sacrificed a bit of revenue that'll come through, you know, on the subscriptions in the upcoming quarters. So I think they've done that now once, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how much they do that, if at all, over the next few years, because I think they have the room to do it, because given that, look, okay, shipping costs, adjusting for inflation, you know, will be the same. Uh, And then product procurement is going to be the same, if not lower, because these are generic products. They're not innovating on anything in that sense. You know, that's a win. That's a a little bit bittersweet because someone can sell the same product on Amazon, right? or through GoodRx or wherever. But I think the most important brand, or excuse me, that's a little tease there, most important competitive advantage expansion will be building a trusted brand. I mean, I'm not talking about, you know, these targeted advertisements that they really smartly used on Instagram, but I'm talking about classic brand marketing that they can employ on, you know, TV, podcasts, billboards, et cetera, et cetera. Soon, I think they will be spending over a billion dollars a year on marketing, which I think is a good thing versus some of these direct competitors because you can, you know, I don't really think of them as a telehealth company. That part is essentially a commodity. It's not that important for them, especially because they're not dealing with the insurance system. I think of them more as a CPG company looking to build a trusted everyday brand for consumers that's utilizing some of this modern technology that a lot of the legacy providers, you know, aren't going to be utilizing. Yeah, I think that all makes sense. Let's talk about the management here, or more specifically, the CEO and founder, Andrew Dedham. I believe pronouncing that right. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like the dump, you know. Like yeah, the, the Netflix thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's the yeah. Netflix intro, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts on them? Well, let's give some context. So, 34 years old. Uh, classifies himself as a serial founder and angel investor, as I mentioned above. Still has a relationship with Atomic Labs, uh, which was incubate, incubated hymns and hers eventually. I'm going to be yeah. honest. I don't like the term serial founder. I know. Well, that's, hey, th- I'm saying what the company says in its filings. So he owns 13% of the company, but importantly, has 90% voting power due to the heavily disproportionate voting rights of the class V common stock that he owns. It was not like the classic 10 to 1 voting power. I think this was over 100 to 1. So, yeah, that's important for investors, I would say. This is the Dutton show. Running. Yeah. Good luck running an activist campaign. 
Exactly. That's why it is important for something like this. Now, I will say, and this is important for how I'm going to do this section, he quote tweeted our chart comparison of hymns and good RX. I think he was probably searching the cash tag because he doesn't follow us. Um, anyone can look at that. I have it linked in the newsletter. So I will say it's possible that he is listening to this. If he isn't, even if he isn't, I'm still going to address this section as I'm asking questions to him if for some reason I got the chance to talk to him in a investment, you know, as an as an investor talking to a management team. Now, here's the list of the questions I have after reading the proxy statement and all the information about him and his relationship to this company. First, here's a quote from the proxy statement. He Dudham is a serial founder, active angel investor, and advisor to various startup companies, including Sherabic Ventures, a China and U.S.-based early-stage venture capital firm. If I'm asking him a question, I would say, do you believe these other endeavors distract you from running hims and hers? Assuming no, why not, and how much time are you spending with these? That is what my first thought I had when reading those. Second thing. The Class V common stock gives you 90% voting power of this business. Do you think this is necessary and a healthy way to run a company? Uh, we, we can maybe answer some of these later. I'm just going to go through them. Uh, okay. I don't want to read the full quote of this one here, but basically uh, Atomic Labs recorded, uh, got $3.6 million in payments from hims and hers for services that they provided them do you would you describe this as self-dealing because this was included in the what do they call it related party transactions right so basically hims and hers paid atomic labs 3.6 million dollars in uh fiscal year 2022 the last year we have a proxy statement on um yeah i'd okay. really like to know what i'd what? really like to know what that was what those services Why? were yeah. <laughs> yeah is that something that could have been done by is it like consulting like were there people there that you know help you raise money or something and made some good slide decks and connected you to some other vcs or whatever like is that what the services were or was it something a little more self-dealing that would be something something very much worth knowing yeah because if i'm a shareholder that's the money that could be paid to me you know yeah uh okay next one your ownership stake in hims and hers is currently worth $234 million. And this is uh, not including options and stuff like that. You have no personal financial restrictions and you never have to work another day in your life if you don't want to. Why are you paying yourself a $600,000 base salary each year that grew in 2022? Now, that one's not that bad, but here's the next part. In February 2022, the Compensation Committee established a threshold target and maximum achievement level for... Corporate performance metrics, annual bonuses. In 2022, your metrics were revenue and adjusted EBITDA. Your minimum target for your revenue bonus in 2022 was $350 million, and adjusted EBITDA was a loss of $33.6 million. You actually generated $527 million in 2022 in revenue and an adjusted EBITDA loss of just $15.8 million. Here are some various questions I have about that. Do you believe these are metrics that quantify whether Hims is creating value for shareholders? Do you believe your targets were reasonable with how fast Hims was growing at the time? Do you think an adjusted EBITDA loss is a good target to have when paying out executive bonuses? Last one, as I know we're rambling, but this is important here. In 2022, you got over 500,000 RSUs, 1 million stock options, and a special CEO performance award of 2 million options that vest on the basis you are still employed by Hims. 
through 2026. There are no stock price um, metrics there or any sort of performance gold associated with these options. From what I could tell, proxy statements are extremely confusing, and I wish you would fix that. Why do you need these stock awards if you already control hymns and have no need for any other? We're well, already wealthy beyond anyone's imagination. I could go on. Clearly, for me, there are a lot of red flags here with this proxy statement, and frankly, a lack of trust in this guy. Watch what he does, not what he says. He sounds great in interviews. I listened to a couple of them. Sounded awesome. This will probably keep me away from investing in this company. Ryan, yeah, yeah. This feels, based off some of the stuff you pulled here, it seems like this is riddled with bad incentives. For example. If you are paid on adjusted EBITDA targets, you can therefore spend a lot of money on stock-based compensation without it affecting that hurdle. Without it, you know, yeah. you can spend without spending essentially when it comes to your own uh, payments. On top of that, if you're spending a lot on stock-based compensation, you as the CEO, the founder, majority shareholder, voting-wise, <clears throat> you want to retain your ownership. So, in order to offset the dilution of your ownership that you've been paying out in stock-based compensation, you're going to gift yourself more options so that you can kind of retain that ownership level. Once again, further diluting shareholders. The other thing for me here is $600,000 base salary, probably on the low end for most CEOs. However, you are so far away from losing voting control that- you have a lot of stock you could potentially sell. I don't think you need to take, it's not the end of the world. $600,000, really not the end of the world. But I think you could take less if you have that much voting control and that much, and your shares are worth $240 million, whatever it is. So, I mean, you think about the best managers, the ones that own a ton of the stock, the Warren Buffetts of the world, they take what? $80,000 salary. Jack Dorsey took like, famously like 30 cents in base salary or something like that. It's kind of the thing that just doesn't need to be paid out. And it just makes me think, how much do you care about minority shareholders? Yeah. Okay. On the one hand, it's indefensible. I think I would never do this. I don't think anyone should do this. That is in this situation. You're not taking care of all your stakeholders. On the other hand, Bartomey thinks it shouldn't keep me away from investing in a company because virtually every company does this. So what am I yeah. not going to invest in anything? Uh, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? A lot like, of companies have better targets. Yeah, that's fair. The difficulty with the business, I think, at this stage is you're not going to – it's not going to be perfect. Yeah, it doesn't – it's really not the end of the world. I think a lot of pretty much every company we look at, like you said, has this. And especially for a young company, it's not going to be perfect. I just, I don't know. Some of this stuff, some of this stuff concerns me. However, even with Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile, with the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. 
Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The horrible like targets that they had, which adjusted EBITDA loss of $33 million, that's pretty terrible. They still produced really good results last year. It, Better than expected profitability, even though it's not legitimate profitability, but getting close. And then uh, revenue absolutely crushed their expectations, which maybe that meant it was a low ball thing. But that's what I'm concerned about. Yeah. <laughs> but the execution is there. Like they are executing very well. So you can't, you can't fault them for that. All right. Let's talk about upside here, realistic kind of. Outlook for the stock. What have you modeled out for financial projections through 2026? Yeah. So any longtime listeners know we keep modeling simple. Um, I'm not going to try to tell you what forward returns are going to be. I'm not going to say, oh, it's 13%, not 11%. You know, I have no idea. I'm hopefully going to illustrate versus the price today uh, what they could be earning on a per share basis, you know, in a few years' time. We only like to do a couple of years out. Keep it simple. Here are my assumptions. Revenue grows at an average of 40% over the next three years. You might say that is high, but that would be a deceleration. And there is a ginormous addressable market out there. They've shown very consistent growth in subscriber numbers and average and total orders. So I don't think that's a crazy number. Could be a little lower, but I think that is reasonable. Second, shares outstanding grow by 4% each year, as we talked about a lot of SBC. Stable gross margins, 81%. No leverage on operation and support cost, R&D, and then uh, slight leverage on general and administrative cost. And the important one is I have marketing as a percentage of revenue going down from 51% uh, on the last 12 months, that's the actual, to 35% in year three. Under this scenario, operating margin climbs to 10% in year three, and they will be generating $217 million in operating income. Even with share dilution, that would put the price to operating income, you know, this has the SBC in there, uh, at below 10, which I think is probably pretty cheap. But uh, there's also potential, they're going to be generating cash, you know, there's also potential to juice returns and get that even lower uh, with buybacks because they are going to be very cash generative over the next few years. What I've highlighted in the newsletter is kind of the concluding part of the financials and the projections for the stock price, and then I'll get Ryan's opinion on it, is the key variable in this model is the amount spent on marketing. If they can grow marketing expenses slower than revenue, I think they're, the stock works. Yeah, it would. That is obviously the big question, though, is whether or not they're going to be able to do that. I think under your scenario, you under the scenario, under the scenario that you painted here, they would get to two hundred seventeen million dollars in operating income in year three. If you have a business doing that much in operating income and it's growing forty percent, 
it's going to be worth a heck of a lot more than a $1.5 billion enterprise value. So it seems like if they continue to grow at the speed and your projections are anywhere near accurate, this is going to be a great performing stock. Do you think the revenue projections are unreasonable? 40% is pretty fast over three years. They're going 50% right now, but it's come down pretty quickly. Fair. Yeah. 100% first I don't know. four years, though. Are six I always have a hard time. Years. It just kind of takes me back to 2020, 2021, when I was looking at companies and modeling out like 30% revenue growth, and I just got destroyed doing that. Yeah. Yep. I agree. I find I, I gave myself a rule that if I am modeling out, more than it was like more than 25% revenue growth. It's probably not in my wheelhouse. Like it's, it's right. It, the, it's a very bold investment. Yeah. If the investment gets killed because they grow revenue at 20% for three straight years versus 40%, maybe it's not as cheap as you think, but you know, Hey, they could get better leverage. Like the profit margins could be much higher. Cause we talked about 80% gross margins. I'm only modeling 10% there. So you I know. think my I think my rule is actually if I'm modeling more than twenty percent revenue growth annually for like three to five years and I'm getting less than ten percent returns, then I'm concerned. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I think but here we could get case, higher though. Yeah, yeah. I think in this case, there's a lot of upside. So it, it's not like you're. It's not like it's all priced in already. It feels like there's ceilings kind of endless here and it feels like there's a very large market to go after so lots of upside the difficulty here's here's where i struggle say this is a business where they just continue to pump out marketing which it's hard to say whether or not that's the right thing to do and they keep marketing as a percentage of revenue flat there's never going to be able to be a point where a rational investor who thinks the business, first of all, that's a concern. That means you probably are having to reacquire customers or you gotta, your marketing is keeping your revenue growth afloat. But the other part is you're not gonna have a rational investor that's able to step in and change that because the voting power or the voting structure, it's like you're, you really gotta be backing the CEO here and the founder because it's his ship. Three words for you, Ryan. Rule of 40. No, I'm joking. That doesn't matter. <laughs> That's a flawed metric. But what revenue growth do you think, if they're break even, you're like, oh, you know, because I think honestly, you know, if they're still growing 50%, 60%, we make fun of the rule of 40, but if they're break even and revenue grows 50, 60% still, and this thing's climbing to a couple billion dollars in revenue here pretty quickly. I don't think I would be upset as a shareholder. No, there's a part of me that just wants to take a flyer on this, honestly. Make it well, like let's a small get to position. Some, let's get to some downside here. Do you want to get maybe ask the next question? Sure. Let's yeah, let's look at some of the risks. What are the risks in your opinion and any red flags? So we talked about the biggest risk is that marketing is keeping uh churning customers afloat where they're they got a leaky boat, right? That's the big concern is that subscribers aren't sticking around. They really didn't give any good numbers on that. They are the classic company. Oh, we don't discuss churn. Oh, we can't, we can't discuss churn. Oh, 
No, <laughs> like, like, oh, whoa, okay. Give out every other number. But one of the most illuminating things you can do, I think, and I learned this from someone else, is to search the company you are looking for and then is a scam in Google. And then I, and usually if you toss in Reddit there, there's some Reddit complainers that always pop up. So I did this with Hims, I did this with hers, and I also did it on both apps on the App Store. I got some interesting results. So here's something from four months ago. I'm not going to read the whole thing because Reddit posts tend to be quite long. So uh, here's what the person said. They went through the questionnaire. Uh, I asked for a particular medication because of its fast-acting nature. Nurse changes medicine to complete the opposite one and asks if I'm good with it. Uh, I said, no, cancel it. And then she says, I can't cancel it. Too far in the process. Give me Gives me a link for the refund policy. Read the policy. Oh, there is no refund, even if they ship you things you didn't ask for. This all happened within 20 minutes. Chat with support, nothing they can do. So I'm out $117 for a medication I didn't ask for or want. Um, various stuff similarly on like, quickly getting you through this process and maybe subscribing you to something you don't even know about on for hers as well. That, that, that one was for him's. I don't think I can read all of these. I have them linked if you want to read the full things in the newsletter, but basically the two overarching things, because I tried to read a few dozen of these and there's quite a few of them. So this is not a one-off is one. They speed run you through the acquisition of the product, right? So they subscribe you maybe even before you even want to. And then if you want to unsubscribe, they make it difficult. So as I was telling Ryan earlier, the Wall Street Journal strategy, make it impossible to cancel. Although they've, they've changed that. And there might be some, um, uh, regu- there's regulation I think that came in there that makes it much harder for people, or excuse me, easier for people to cancel those type of things. Now, I'm a little conflicted here because the evidence seems to support anecdotally that they are trying as hard as possible to get people to order subscriptions and then make it really hard to cancel. And this can make churn look good right now. And it's going to make revenue growth look great in the short run. But it does no good for building brand trust over the long term. I mean, they need to take care of these customers and not think of that. You know, now all these customers with these reviews, they have a negative, they think of him's and hers in a negative light. But my question is, okay, what percentage of the customers are like this? Is it less than 1%? Yeah. I think maybe. We've got some bad reviews too, you know. I know, it's, yeah. You can't it's it's going to be a part of life as a subscription service. This type you of can't stuff. please everyone. It's got a lot of upvotes. <laughs> so, that's a little concerning. But yeah, there's a lot of people, well, a lot of the comments and replies were same thing happened to me, bro. Oh, bro, dude, that same thing. Same thing. There's a, yeah. lot, there's a lot of those. So I, I would check those out if you're an investor in Hims. Just search those online. Yeah, I don't know what to think of these. Here's my concern when we look at the stock overall. First of all, actually, why don't I start with you? Because you've done the majority of the research here. Do you like the stock? Any chance you own this? I am not buying it. today. I'm not buying today for two reasons. And I think one is the concerns over the churn and these reviews that I'm seeing online. And second is management integrity, specifically the one person that controls everything here, caring about shareholders. I don't think they proved that yet. Um, but, 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 I think this can be a 10-bagger over the next 10 years. I think the stock looks cheap. 
versus like kind of a risk reward perspective of how big this business could get in these various categories that have $10 billion in spending. Uh, they're eating the competition, the direct competition, and they have a potential for mode expansion to build a trusted brand, but I need management I can trust. And I think one way they could build trust with me and potentially other, other shareholders is to fix these quality control issues with customer support and subscriptions. Admit you make a mistake here because it seems pretty clear that they are. There's a lot of reviews here that says they need to fix this. Yeah. I'm conflicted. I, I'm conflicted here on this one. Not buying. Time. I have been burned buying revenue growth stories. And it feels like this could end up similar. Good RX. There was a point when Good RX was growing 50, 60% on the top line. They were operating income profitable. One, it's an industry I don't know that well. Sounds like I can probably get a grasp around it, but not totally sure. The other part is lots of red flags in the proxy and I'm not 100% sure they can pull back on marketing without seeing revenue growth declines. Yeah. Like the thing with me is okay, if they pull back on the marketing spend, yeah, and and, and they get profitable, the stock's probably going to go up and, you know, you lose that on the returns. But I'm not confident what the result's going to be. What I left this one open for the last section here. It's pre-mortem and conclusions from this episode. What do you think? I guess maybe I can go second here. As someone, you know, you kind of were basically listening to my research report. What, what would you say is a pre-mortem for why this could go badly as an investment and kind of conclusions from looking at this company? Yeah, go poorly is that the, uh, the churn is really high and that the economics are masked by uh, perpetual marketing spend. $500 million in marketing spend is masking, you know, significantly elevated churn. I think eventually that comes back to bite you. And at some point they start to run out of cash. So well, and, and the even, balance even is cash flow generative. At some point, investors stop funding that business uh, because they're not profitable. They're not truly profitable. So I would be, I don't know, just perpetual unprofitability and or worse, they go like the way of stitch fix where it's like, okay, we're going to rationalize costs. And it's like those costs were the only thing keeping your top line afloat. Stitch fix is a good comparison here of what could go wrong. Yes, I agree. That's my worry. I would love some churn numbers. I imagine if they're not giving them, I mean, this is probably a high churn business to begin with, but if they're not giving them, I'm afraid it's because it's quite bad. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with those. I think conclusions here is that no matter how sexy a business looks, you got to stay reasonable with the management team. And or you'd be rational about what they are. And they're not showing to be the best right now. Um even though maybe, they're executing maybe on the just top a couple line. maybe just a couple shares. I might I might <laughs> take a flight. We don't yeah, have the like, fund anymore. So like we can just invest how you yeah yeah you can invest single share of a shitco if we want. Not a shitco. Sorry. 
I, I do picture the CEO listening right now. Buy we can buy stuff that are a little more early stage and not be not have anyone to report to. Yeah, less of a uh, feeling of responsibility to other people. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But maybe that was a good thing. <laughs> to not make mistakes and invest to get unprofitable stuff like this. But yeah, I mean, I could see this thing being, like I said, a 10 beggar. I think my final conclusion is early stage, basically how I would describe it is somewhat as a CPG brand, but with obviously the healthcare twist, they are high risk, high reward. If you want to take a bet on this, I would size it small. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that should wrap things up. Yeah. For anyone that, you know, that's going to be it for hims and hers. I'll hit the disclosure here, but do you have a stock on the top of your mind that I should research next, Ryan? If not, maybe I'll throw out some ideas here. I do not have any for you. I will uh, foreshadow here. We're talking booking holdings next week. Been doing some research there. Very different business than hims and hers. Uh, Very different uh, stage of its life cycle, if you will. So uh, interesting business, very cash flow generative, and one that is not as expensive as I was expecting, which is always a delight to see once you finish your research and you're like, oh, okay, this might be, you know, now I now I really dig in. So it, uh, yeah, I'm excited for that one. What uh, what do you have top of your mind? I was, there's one, the go-go and flight one, which is not actually those little video things you watch. It's the aviation internet company i think that was interesting it looks extremely cheap but there's the starlink competition i also think the ansys and synopsis merger could be interesting um that was it on the you're top not, of my you're bag. not gonna pitch the hawaiian airlines merger orb? no no what <laughs> I, I don't know if you saw the meme i threw up but the yeah the arrested development one you know it never works right but it could work for us the hawaiian airlines one that that spread yeah. though <laughs> yeah it's, good, though. Well, it's, always it's gonna enticing. be yeah well so is the spirit air one all right I, I guess nothing on the top of my mind but i'll whenever i decide i'll say it on the podcast and i'll be spending the next month researching and hopefully doing something similar to this and for anyone listening here okay anyone still listening if you like these episodes type of episodes let us know if you don't and you find any flaws or any ways we can improve these also let us know because this is kind of similar to the not-so-deep dives, but slightly different as we're trying to, as I said, improve the quality but decrease the quantity quantity of the output and do individual research and then per- basically present it to each other. Let's hit the disclosure, though. We are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. Uh, Ryan, I, and any podcast guests may hold securities discussed in this podcast. We may have held them in the past, and we may buy sell or hold any stocks mentioned here in the future. Thank you everyone for tuning in and we'll see you next time.